guys. Can everyone hear me if I just... Go... Give everyone some time. We're already there. Easy. So, Genesis 11, 27 to 12, 9. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they had gathered that they had gathered, sorry, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. Well, boys, uh, good to see you guys. If you're new amongst us, my book of Jace, as Jace said, we... Look at the Bible here, we've got together at Bible Talks, strangely enough. We at Uni Bible Group have that God speaking to us. It's how God speaks, how God reveals himself, uh, just like we do. We reveal ourselves by speaking. So we come that God has spoken to us, revealing himself in the Bible. We don't have to believe that to come at Bible Talks, uh, but that's what we do. So if God's speaking to us, it's right to ask his help to understand what he's given us uh, his word. So I'm going to pray that asking God, and uh, pray that we might be able to know what he's done to us. Pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to hear you speak and uh, to understand what uh, you are saying to us. Please help us understand your word. Help me to be able to explain it clearly, and we pray that you might help us to respond rightly to it. And ask it in Jesus' name. Well, we are looking at this part of the Bible that talks about uh, blessing, but not looking at it because it talks about blessing. We're getting back into uh, the first book of the Bible, which is called Genesis, the very beginnings. 
And we started looking at Genesis last year. And if you weren't with us last year, blessed upon you, because uh, you were somewhere else, probably inside of home, like everyone else. But we looked at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which we're going to skip over. I'll refer back to a couple of bits of it, but uh, if you've missed chapters 1 to 11, you've missed such things as the creation of the universe and everything in it, uh, including humanity. In fact, very quickly, in the second chapter of Genesis, the focus is on the man and the woman. On this tiny little crumb called Earth uh, is this tiny little crumb. And, woman. and the whole of existence is focused in, and uh, focused again on them. What God is doing, uh, with, and you'll hear, you'll have heard some of the key words today in this passage that was started back then, which is God blessed the creation, and God blessed the men and the women, so they would be fruitful and multiply. Hear those words and hang on to them and fill the earth over the earth. And that's where we end up chapter 2. Chapter 3 of Genesis, you see that the man and the woman use their dominion to lead humanity in rebellion against God, where they decide that what God has spoken uh, is not right. But what they do is they recreate the universe. God creates the universe by speaking. They create a new version of things by them speaking. They what's true. And what is uh, true is that we make the rules, uh, and what we decide is right is right. Uh, God, instead of blessing them, decides to curse, not curse them personally, but uh, to curse the ground because of their rebellion. So rather than being a fruitful, multiplying earth, it's one where thorns and thistles and weeds grow easily as opposed to abundant blessings. Chapters 4 through to 11 practice this degeneration of humanity, this, this fall, as it's called, this fall from glory, uh, that is what's called the fall. From a glorious position uh, to gloriousness, and yeah, along the way, God tries to save people from being Noah, but it's a tracking of humanity and rebellion. Now, what's Genesis doing? It's not just tracking uh, humanity because it's like the evening news tells you what happened today, uh, whatever it is. Now, Genesis has got something that's pushing it forward. Back in chapter 3, 15, verse 15, when God is cursing the ground because of it, the serpent who usurps them, God says that he will raise up offspring, an offspring of the woman who will crush the serpent's head, who will reverse the curse. And so what Genesis then does is it tells you all about the offspring of the woman. And what happens to the offspring of the woman is they have more offspring and die. And have more offspring and die. And die, born, die, born, die, born, die. 
and they don't really do anything because they produce children. And you get to chapter 11, and there's these cities being produced. There's Tower of Babel, which is you know being built by humanity, organised against God, against the heavens, uh, to the heavens, against God. And humanity is multiplying, multiplying, and Genesis 6 reminds us they multiply in sin and wickedness. They use their dominion to multiply people. And multiplying nations, and then suddenly, bang, it all comes to a stop. Not a stop in the multiplying, but in the focus of Genesis. Multiple nations multiplying and one man, and Abram. We study Abram, but there's something along the way, even in this first poem is reading, that tells us that Abram's important and why we should be looking at it. to you, I'm not pointing to you, God promises the world, we have the world so far. Chapter 12, verse 1. It's halfway down the page on the Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who honors you, I will curse. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So again, we're introduced to one man that God chooses. And he's called to leave all the developing cities on the plain of Shinar and to go to another land where God will... God will show him and where he will provide for him. And so we see the next phase of the pattern of the kingdom. Now that might mean nothing to some of you, but those of you who have been in faculty groups, they're looking at God's big picture. Let me commend a faculty, small faculty Bible study group to you, where you've looked at chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, and the pattern of the kingdom is, I'll out, God's under rule and blessing. That's right. That's the pattern. And now we've got the next one. Step of the pattern with your group into the third one into and uh, it's people, land and blessing. People have that pattern but here I'm going to um, look at it in the opposite direction. Uh, well, land, blessing, and equal. But it's, that's the, um, how we're going to look at it. But it's the pattern of the kingdom. Potential faculty groups that they're a good thing to go? Yeah, come on. On the back, if you want to um, go to a. I'll just keep going. Um, <laughs> the pace of the narrative in Genesis now slows down one man. And over the next ten chapters that we're going to look at now, uh, we cover Abram's life of about 30 years. Part of his life of about 30 years. And 
first one that we see that we're going to look at is Thomas Lane point. And if you have a look at this map here, you'll see this is actually the Middle East, and this is the Persian Gulf, uh, and this is around about where you see like um, tankers being stuck in canals and things like that. And um, over here is the nation of Israel and Egypt. So Abraham starts out there, that's where he met him in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he lived in Ur, you'd want to get out of it too. But God <laughs> tells him to go, and you can't look across there because that's just really bad. So you always go up around that way and come down. So that's where you meet Abraham, that's where God, well, Abraham goes to, and starts out Shechem. And once he gets to Shechem, uh, he then is spends some time there, goes down to Egypt, spends some time there, comes back up to Bethel, camps between Bethel and Ai. And what's happening here is that God's directing him through the land through various means. There's a famine, which means he goes down to Egypt and comes back to uh, pitch his tent by the oaks of Moray, we're told, and that seems to be the place where he's going to end up until I've made base camp. Now, the base camp, but he doesn't own any of it. He doesn't own a single crumb of land. But God tells him to walk through the land. Walk up, down, across. Because this is the land I'm going to give to your family in about 400 years. <laughs> but yours, Abram, the promise is to you, not to your family, it's to you. But they're going to get it. Now that's a little bit interesting, isn't it? We're not going to talk about that. I'll get you. It's populated by other people, this land, uh, and owns it. But along the way, he's uh, wondering, God is referring to the blessing. And the blessing that he Abraham promised not for himself, that it will be a blessing, as we've already seen. From verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who honors you I will curse. All the family will be blessed. Now, we have to ask, is it now Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 1, is God saying, ah, I'm going back to the river. I'm starting out again with and and one of Adam and Eve now. It's Abraham and Sarah. Is that what's happening here? But sort of beginning. And the key words here. Always look for the key. The small words are often the key ones. It's. In you, Abram, all the world will be blessed. In Abram, all the world will be blessed. How you respond to Abraham, or Abram, um, as you call here, matters. You respond rightly in relation to Abraham, you will be blessed. But at the you will be remain under the curse. But the key thing is that in Abram, God is working now. It's not in the creation 
various blessings. That's the place where God is, the humanity flourish in being part of the creation. Don't know about it is God's blessing that we flourish, but where God now is directing His blessing and through Him is this man Abraham, which is why if you want to be blessed by God, you want to understand where God is giving His blessing. You need to understand Abraham. And what God does here. But it's just like 4,000 years ago, some guy were wandering around the desert. Uh, what's that got anything to do with us? On the other side of the world, 4,000 years later, God says, you need to pay attention to Abram because you won't understand what God's doing in the world if you don't understand what he's doing in the world. That is where God is placing What we do say, though, is that God is still committed to and God is still humanity for and being enriched, but it's neighbor. And I'll come back to that a bit later on. But the big thing that we see coming through is the promise of people. People. As Abram travels around uh, the, the land, he encounters all sorts of issues and problems, and each time. God reiterates this promise to him, and we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at the text. We're going to look at, we're looking at ten chapters here. We've got a little part of one of them, but the rest of some bits are going to come up on the, the slide here. And uh, I need someone who can for us who's going to do that. Nancy, please. Uh, if you could fifteen. some of the a lot of the similarities between what we've got there in chapter twelve and then fifteen and then seventeen. But this is where you guys do the hard work. Yeah, hard work together. On this slide here you've got those two passages that Anthony just read side by side and then you've got the three together. Yeah. Yeah. Abram, 
What are some of the things uh, that you were similar across those three precedents? Yeah. You want to volunteer anyone there? The Lord kept appearing to him, yeah. And this is over this is over decades. This is it all sort of looks like in just a few minutes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's over a long time. The Lord appears to him. Which is interesting. We often read sorry, this is a side this is extra. We often read the Bible people back then when God just appeared and talked to you. But it's three times and he says the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Any other things that are similar across the. What about the offspring? What sorts of things about the offspring? What kind of other eyes are there? No. Lots of them. Yes, thank you. Uh, lots of them. Now, what's up in that one, the offspring? What changes or what develops across each of them? There's a covenant. Yes, so there's a new thing. There's a covenant. So there's a promise is what's happening here, and covenant is a particularly... Um, official, organised uh, type of promise, written down, decided upon by two parties. Yeah. And so, covenant is the... Offspring everlasting. Covenant is everlasting. Um, yeah. Something else. The, the numbers, you don't quite see it clearly until you get to the final passage, which I'm going to turn a little bit. But it seems like the numbers get bigger. In chapter 13, which I haven't shown you, there's a little snippet, there's a little addition which says that your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And then it's built, you'll be like the stars in the sky if you could count it. Uh, in chapter 22, I'll give it away. It gets to be the sand on the seashore and the dust of the earth. Oh, sorry, the sand on the seashore and the stars uh, in the sky. It's like the promise is getting bigger and bigger. Abraham still doesn't get nothing. Doesn't get a scrap of earth or actually see it. But, but the promise is getting bigger and bigger each time. And his name gets bigger as well. It gets more letters added. <laughs> Not everyone enjoys that. We tend to shorten things as obvious, but he gets his name added on. He goes from being Abram, which means um, a great father, uh, to Abraham, which is exceedingly uh, a father of many. And uh, he's going to be the father of a multitude. And he's fruitful. There's an expansion each time we hear these promises bigger and bigger. But Abraham and his circumstances don't change and they're impossible circumstances. Because, well, we're under point three, uh, impossible circumstances of Abraham. 
see that Abram name his great father changed to father of many many but he has no children and also um, Sarah his wife is childless and uh, she's been childless and she's not around about 80 years old and uh, she obviously can't have children and God is saying you're going to be the parents of an exceedingly huge nation. You can imagine some of the problems that they might be thinking to themselves uh, as they're pondering the possibilities. Um, yes, there is those platitudes of uh, you're only as old as you feel, <laughs> but some things aren't going to happen just overnight, are they? So we're taken through these exceedingly difficult promises and uh, there, Abram and Sarah offer solutions, and I think what we see are three um, three solutions to this threat of childlessness. It's a threat to the promise. God can't keep His promise if He doesn't come up with a child. Like it's barely if He comes up with a child, how is He going to keep the promise? But here's the threat, and Abram and Sarah offer their own solutions. So. Abram, I think we've got other passages here. I might have them coming up. Yep, here we go. Genesis 15. Abram says to God, this is his solution. Uh, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, uh, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my head. Here you go. Lord, here's the solution. I can't have kids, Sarah can't have kids, but we'll adopt this guy who's in, hanging around my house, uh, and he can be the guy. Let's call him that. Brilliant, done, I'm happy with that. Are you happy with that? And God says, no, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God rejects Abram's fix and clarifies, from your own body, Abram. Then Sarah provides the second solution. And uh, she's obviously now feeling a failure uh, as many women who can't have children feel. Uh, they've let the family down, they've inserted this uh, part of the world at this time of existence where you are, your significance comes from who you can, how many children and what children you have. Sarah offers her own suggestions. There's Abram, why don't you have a child with my maidservant, Hagar? Comes from your own body, and so away they go. And they have Ishmael. She, the, uh, Hagar has Ishmael. And then Abram says to God uh, in Genesis 17, uh, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. So note from God on that one. It's from Abram's body, but no. It's going to be from Sarah. God clarifies it again. And beyond all human possibility and expectation, that you have a son. And we call him Isaac, which means laughter. Or joke. <laughs> but there's a third and final threat to the promise. 
It's in Genesis 22. Where Abram, told by God, verse 22, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there an offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Son, and God says, sacrifice him. That's a decent threat to the promise, isn't it? What solution is Abram going to offer up this time? Give Eliezer of Damascus a call and say, actually, you're busy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> or the other guy, Ishmael, go and find him in Arabia. What's, what's it? Abram doesn't offer any solutions or any hesitations. He goes. And as he reaches out, he's in Mount Moriah, and he reaches out to kill Isaac, God tells him, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. up his eyes and looked at the hole behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called the name that place the Lord will provide. To that day, to this day, on the mount of the Lord, which shall be provided. And so God reinstates his promise to Abram, Abraham, one last time. An angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Here the change is added that Abram, the offspring, will possess the gate of his enemies. Enemies, the only time those two, that word is that word is used twice in Genesis. Enemies here, and in Genesis 3.15, when God says, I will put enmity, make enemies, between your offspring, serpent, and the woman's offspring. And here we have the promise of the offspring possessing the gate of the enemy. That is to, to own the enemy, uh, to have dominated them and have dominion over them. And here's the promise. And notice that it's now in the offspring that all the nations of the earth will be But notice that it's in Abram, Abraham, that God provides. We didn't pick up in verse in chapter twelve, but he provides a name for humanity. That God provides the name. God provides a blessing for Abraham. God provides an offspring to defeat sin. God doesn't mind doing the impossible. Even uh, does the impossible um, when it looks like. All else is impossible as well. 
Now, we need to understand what God's saying here and what God's doing here in Genesis. We need to understand what the rest of the Bible does with this. And the way the right way to think is that the Bible interprets the Bible. So what does the Bible do with all of this stuff in Genesis? Well, we don't have time for it. We're going to get one part of it. It's in Galatians. We'll point you to Hebrews um, as well, but we're going to look at Galatians 3. Here's Paul's argument from having read this whole thing of Abraham, the world through Abraham. Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You hear the gospel was preached to Abraham. What was the gospel he heard? Shall all the nations be blessed? Was For Abraham, that gospel beforehand, shall all the nations be blessed. How does that happen? How is it that blessing comes? How is it the gospel? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Those verses in context. But you can see that it's in Christ Jesus that the blessings of Abraham come to those who believe in all the world. So the blessings of God don't come through the creation, but they do. That's not the place where God is aiming his blessings. In the offspring of Abraham in Christ. That is where the promises for blessing, for flourishing, are to be found. Verse 16 clarifies it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and offsprings, through to many, through to one, and to your offspring. Settled relationships, uh, having all blessings of
Hi everyone, my name is Caitlin. I have the privilege of bringing us in prayer on today. I'm so grateful. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we are here today in bringing us safely back from this ministry. So thank you for breaking the chain of casualty charge before the second half of semester. Thank you for sending Jesus and that through him, the blessing of Abraham can come to those who believe. Thank you that we are most blessed through Christ. Thank you for Union Bible Group and the opportunity we have to gather as Christians at university. We pray that we would work diligently and faithfully, seeking opportunities to proclaim Jesus Christ at university to our classmates and those around us, so that we all may be presented mature in Him. Help each of us to do everything out of brotherly love and reflect God's excellence in how we work, not being a burden to anyone, and always being ready to give an answer to the hope that we have. We particularly pray for dinners tonight, coming up in week nine, that this would be a great time of fellowship and encouragement. We pray that many would be able to come along, and we thank you for the hospitality of the hosts for each dinner. We let the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so we ask that you would raise up more workers to go into the mission field. We pray that we, as a environment group, would be considering how we can best serve your kingdom in our life circumstances. Pray that you would be impressing on the hearts of your followers the importance of proclaiming Jesus to others, whether in Australia or further abroad, and that we would consider how we can do that best now and into the future. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.